This week on AARP, The Perfect Scam. And I said, Desiree, uh, I said, you just stole my money. She was really kind of upset. You can't write me a check for $10,000? And I said, no, I can't. Welcome back to AARP, The Perfect Scam. I'm Will Johnson, your host, and I'm here with AARP's Fraud Watch Network Ambassador, Frank Abagnale. Frank, thanks for being here again. Thank you, Will. Thanks for having me. And we're back with another romance scam this week, but it's got a lot of twists and turns that our listeners will find quite interesting. Frank, I want to ask before we get into it, uh, romance scams, sometimes it could be a group of people who are working together. Sometimes it could be a lone wolf, right? Somebody just doing it by themselves. Absolutely. And most of the time it is a, a con man or a con woman. Uh, working alone, but sometimes they are connected with a small group of people or a large group of uh, people who send them out, find the people for them to go take advantage of, and then they go out on that kind of mission to go do just that. We will find out that this one is done uh, over the phone and then on text and then in person, but romance scams uh, could certainly be all of the above. Yes. Face-to-face, over the phone. I mean, is there a different MO or is it, it all involves the same sort of degree of of uh, conning someone. It's all the same degree. I think the Internet is the easiest way because, as we've talked about before, there's no emotion involved. Many times you never see the person, the person never sees you, uh, and you're scamming this person basically online. And I think uh, that's where a lot of these are sometimes very bad, where people are very badly taken advantage of mainly because the the emotion side of it is, is gone. The human thought about it is gone. All right, Frank, we'll come back to you. First of all, I want to introduce uh, part one of our two-part story this week and a con woman known as Desiree Boltos. We've talked to a lot of scam victims on our show, people who have lost their retirement nest eggs, some who've fallen in love only to learn it was all a scam, run-of-the-mill email and Internet scam victims, and massive Medicare fraud victims. They all have an important story to tell, and we owe them a huge thanks for being willing to share their stories, their pain, and sometimes very private aspects of their lives, so that we, and you, can better understand and protect ourselves from scams and frauds. Jim Schmidt is one of those people, and to put it bluntly, he's a real character. He's the kind of guy I'd like to spend more time with, actually, just listening to his stories, not just hearing about how he was scammed by a woman named Desiree Boltos. If you look at my past, I could see why she got a hold of me because, you know, if you read articles, I'm known as the improbable millionaire and I did make lots of money and I was pretty generous with it when I had it. I like Jim. He's honest and straightforward. He tells it like it is. He's done a lot with his time on earth. He's made millions with real estate and he's dabbled in restaurants and resorts, among other things. But I had lots of companies. I developed lots of properties, built lots of homes all over the West. Jim talks about himself in the third person sometimes, and coming from Jim, it's endearing. He's not bragging, just being himself. Here's a guy that has helps a lot of people out and never worried. I brought in lots of investors in my in my businesses, and everybody always made money. And I never worried about Jim Schmidt. I only worried about uh, everybody else came out on those investments. Yeah, It's kind of a me-me world out there, in case you didn't know. And most people know that uh, it, usually it's all about them. And me, it's all about you. But when the real estate market tanked, Jim suffered losses, a lot of losses. At the time this came down, I had lost all my money. I had lost like millions and millions. 
in all my collection, cars, seven houses. But I was literally, if they call it, down and out in Beverly Hills, that was me. This is the rags to riches, riches, and I was in the rags when uh, Desiree approached me. In some ways, Jim was probably the perfect target for a scammer. He's generous, gives to charity, cares about other people, and at one point at least had a lot of money. The silver lining here is that when Desiree Boltos comes into Jim's life, he really didn't have much to lose. He'd already lost it all. In fact, he was staying with a friend at the Carson River Resort. It's a place he bought 45 years earlier in the Lake Tahoe area. I was at that resort in my in a friend's motorhome that I had uh, that he gave me to stay in because I had lost everything else. So there's Jim living in a motorhome on the property of a resort he once owned. He's helping manage the place as a favor when he gets a call from a woman named Desiree. Hi, this is Desiree. You remember me? And I said, you know, no, I don't. I, I, you know, I, I, she said, well, I was at your resort and I met you and you were such a nice guy. And I've always thought about you and I wanted to come back and see you. Now, now understand in this, she thought that I was still the multimillionaire she read about. Okay, so that's okay. So she calls and then she sent me a picture, and I said, oh, she's pleasant. And I'm single at the time, still am, but I didn't have even a girlfriend. And she called and said, I'd like to meet you. And I thought, boy, that's great. You know, I said, where are you? And she says, well, in Las Vegas. And I said, well, uh, she said, well, could I come up and see you? And I said, yeah, just fly into the Reno Tahoe Airport, and I'll pick you up. Yeah, why, why not? Sure. It would seem like kind of like a fun thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just meet somebody and she thought I was wonderful and had met me before and then I didn't remember, but she sent a picture of herself and she looked pleasant to me, you know. Desiree texted Jim again and said she'd be landing at three the next afternoon. He made plans to pick her up. Did you tell anybody about it or did you keep it kind of just your... your no. Your... No? Okay. No, I didn't. I, you know, I'm just... No, I just... Went to Reno, picked her up, and I told the people running the store, yeah. I'm running to pick up a friend of mine that met me here. If you're waiting for the plot to thicken, all our scam stories have that moment. Here you go. Jim says before he went to the airport, he got a text that was supposed to go to Desiree's sister, or that's what she said. And it says, sis, um, I'm doing another deal uh, and I want to know if you want in on it, because I'm going to see a, a very nice gentleman friend of mine that uh, I'm going to talk to him about this investment. And and then so I got this as it was sent to her, but it really wasn't. It was sent to her sister and it was telling me that, you know, her sister, he said, sis, you know, you made a lot of money in my last investment. So I want to let you in on this if you want it. And then she texted me back right after that and says, oh, sorry, that went to her. That was meant for my sister. I'm sorry about that. It was a mistake. It wasn't a mistake. But Jim believed her at the time. He didn't know it yet. Desiree was laying the groundwork for her scam. She gets off the plane and Jim recognizes her right away from her picture. She had a nice dress on. She looked like somebody that, you know, I could... Uh, hang out with. Yeah, without any doubt. 
Jim and Desiree got back in his car and made the drive back to the Carson River Resort. I asked her if there was anything she needed on the way home because I said, we have a little store, but I don't have much there. And we stopped at Walmart or someplace. She said, yeah, I need some eyeliner or something or this or that and some peanuts and I don't know. I, and we stopped and then went right to went right to the resort and uh, I brought her into the mobile home and uh, and we were in there just chatting for a little bit. Settling into the RV with Desiree, if Jim was expecting more of a personal connection, the conversation seemed to take an odd turn. We're sitting there at the table and she said, uh, uh, you know, I have an investment I want to talk to you about. And uh, I said, well, what, what is it? She said, well, I refurbish uh, hotels and casinos with all their furnishings. And she says, uh, would you be interested in getting involved in uh, uh, every time I do a project, we put all new furnishings and I just uh, bring in a partner or two. And, and I said, gee, I'm not in any position to do that right now. I said, I've just you know, just lost everything. I said, I'm literally, I, I hate to tell you this, I'm embarrassed to tell you, but I'm, I'm broke. There's no doubt about it. So it sounds like whatever research she had done on you, she, I wonder if she was hoping to show up and you'd be in some, you know, big fancy mansion or something and not a, not oh, a, no. yeah. oh, for sure. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Cause my mansion, you can, I had one of the only houses you know, partners with it. And one of my houses was on Rich and the Famous with Robin Leach. You know, I had I had a jet. I had 40 cars. You know, I could sit here and tell you all I had. Yeah. I never had less than a half million dollars in my checking, my personal checking account. And so she walks into this situation and, and start, it probably starts to dawn on her that you, you're, you're not living as quite as high on the hog as maybe you had been. Correct. So she was, I could tell she was shocked. Yeah. And I said, well, I'm embarrassed. You know, I'm this is who I am, and and uh, you know, of course, she claimed she had met me there at the resort before. Well, the resort doesn't have any mansions on it; it's got little cabins and stuff. And it's she didn't meet me there; she made that up. Were you taken aback that she was all of a sudden asking you about investments? Um, no, I was embarrassed that yeah. she that I wasn't who she thought I was. If Desiree had miscalculated Jim's wealth, she certainly wasn't going to waste her trip to Lake Tahoe. She dug in. She said, well, maybe you can help me out on this. And I said, what's that? She said, I have a house in uh, in Texas, in Dallas. And she said, oh, I had this gal. She's been in there. And, and she. I just found out she didn't pay the, she was supposed to pay the, the rent, which she made the payment on the house. And they're ready to take the house from me. She said, I've got to get them $10,000 like almost tomorrow. And I said, well, I said, I can't get you $10,000. She said she was really kind of upset. You can't write me a check for $10,000? And I said, no, I can't. I'm sorry, but I'm just, you know, I was feeling bad. But Jim, ever the generous guy and feeling sorry for her, makes an offer. I said, I will, what did it cost you for the airline tickets to come up here? And I'll pay for your expenses knowing that you came here thinking that you were going to put a deal together and I wasn't able to do it. And she says, she handed me something and it was like $2,200 or $2,000. And I was thinking, gee. But to myself, from Vegas round trip, that seems like a lot. But I said, hey, no problem. And here's... 
here's the part. I had I had sold my museum collection. Of, the, the rest of the money I got from it was $15,000. And so I went in the back of the, we're sitting up in the front, in the coach. I go back and I get, I go to my, my right next to my bed. I had the $15,000 there and I had some signed checks from the resort that was left for me so I could pay the beer vendor and whatever because I wasn't on the account. And uh, and so I took $2,000 from that, came up there and and, and I, here's your two, here's $2,000. And now I have, you know, this was, I mean, it really hurt for me to do that, but I at least, the least I could do, I'm embarrassed, I'm whatever. So we gave her the $2,000 and they head into town for dinner. She says, oh, well, I'll pay. Well, she was paying with the money I gave her. Doesn't matter there. And it wasn't anything. It was, I had a glass of wine and hamburger or something. I don't know. Jim and Desiree go back to the RV. He makes plans for a sleeping arrangement. You can go ahead and have the room in the back and I'll, I can make up this couch and I'll just sleep here. And she said, well, I'm kind of claustrophobic or whatever. And I said, okay, no problem. You can sleep here. I'll go there, whatever. So then I went back. I started feeling kind of funny about something. So I, I went back and I took the money that was in a drawer near my bed and I put it, I, I put it in a, my sock and my sock drawer. I, I was kind of had a funny feeling, but I'm still feeling bad. Okay. So the night goes by. There's no, Kissing, hugging, nothing. If things were feeling just a bit strange to Jim, the next day would only get stranger. Desiree said she'd be leaving in the morning. He was up early taking care of some resort business. I came back to the bus. My car, uh, the car was in front. She was in the car. My little dog, I said, oh, I've got to get my little dog. Oh, no, I have your dog. She didn't want me to go back in the bus. So I take her to the airport and she put her, she had one little overnight bag in her purse and she put it on the hood of the car. And she said, oh, I can't find my, uh, my ID. And she said, would you look through that bag? And I'm thinking, why does she want me to look through this bag? And then I'll look in this one. And I said, well, I don't see any ID in here. And she said, well, let me look in that one. You look in this one. She handed me both bags. Desiree finally finds her ID, makes sort of a big deal of finding it, in fact. They say goodbye, and Jim makes the drive back to the RV. On the way back, I get a call from the manager over at the uh, place that's running the store, and he says, hey, you've got to bring over a check for the beer vendor, or pop vendor, whatever it was. I said, oh, no problem. So I go in to get one of the signed checks. The signed checks were there, and the cash was gone. And I says, oh, man, she just, she just robbed me. All of a sudden, it all starts to make sense. The random phone call out of the blue from a stranger, an unexpected visit, talk of investments and other big ideas, and then the rush to get to the airport. So when I was gone for that half hour, hour, she went back and went through all the drawers and found the money. She took the cash, left the, but I didn't know this at the time. Even the hubbub about the missing ID was part of Desiree's plan. She knew she had the cash and she wanted to prove to me when I found out the cash was gone that, oh, 
she didn't take it because you went through my bags. Jim now understands his sense of unease from the night before. Well, I think she may have seen me where I that I, I went back there and I got cash. Okay. Oh, the two thousand or so for the air for the yeah, airplane. Two thousand. So she knew there was. I came yeah. out with that. And yeah. It, and I was sitting on the bed counting out the two thousand. And I think she was watching me. What's going through your mind? How do you feel? I feel terrible because that was all the money I had left to my name. So I mean, you know, when I had millions, you don't think about it. When you're down, when you have nothing left, this was really. I mean, it's. I guess. Yeah, here's a guy that this was my the cash that was going to get me through life with the fifteen thousand. I I go to the dollar store. I could live a long time. It was really a tragic thing for me because that's all the cash I had. Did you panic? Well, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you kind of break out in a cold sweat. Yeah, and I'm I'm just like I'm kind of you kind of drained you. I knew what I happened, and it all all of a sudden it all clicked in. Yeah. Oh, that's why. That got the accidental, you know, email. That's why you go through her bags. This is why this, that, and no, I, I, there was, hundred percent guaranteed she did it. Desiree's scam is all falling into place, and he's down fifteen thousand, two thousand. He gave her thirteen thousand. She made off with. He's got no spending money at all, but he's a proactive guy. Jim picks up the phone and calls her. Desiree picks up. And I says, Desiree, uh, I said, you just stole my money. And she says, I said, I, I needed that money. And she says, no, I didn't steal it. You went through my bag. So she was covering up. And I said, okay, would you take a lie detector test or a polygraph? And she said, well, absolutely, no problem. Yep, Jim wants to put her on a lie detector. And Jim, being Jim, knows the guy to call. I, I get a hold of this Mr. Brown who's been doing uh, polygraph forever. And so I got, I gave him her phone number and they started communicating. He talked to her, but then she didn't show up. But he says, Jim, I have been doing this for the last 20 years. And I could tell by asking her questions over the phone that she is guilty as can be. But Jim still isn't giving up. So I kept calling. I says, well, gee, Desiree, I really, you know, you were really a nice person and whatever. And it looks like I'm going to come back into money. And then Desiree would call saying, you know, like, well, when do you think you're going to have more money to invest? <laughs> and I just kept in touch. For Jim Schmidt, a guy who made millions, gave away millions, and then lost it all, getting his money back was not something he was going to leave up to others. You know, when I called her, I said, Desiree, that's all the money I had left, and I had needed that money, but I wasn't going to let this drop. Jim didn't want to drop it, but outside of calling Desiree, reporting it to the police, and hounding her for the money, he didn't really have much he could do. The 13000 was gone, plus the 2000 he gave her, and so was Desiree. Desiree Boltos' home base was actually Fort Worth, Texas, and authorities there already had her on their radar. Other victims had come forward, other elderly men. This is a woman that, according to her work history, has never received a paycheck in her life. How old was she when she started doing this? Did you find that out? The first uh, victim, and she began a relationship around when she was 28 years old. Lori Varnell is an assistant criminal district attorney in Fort Worth, Texas, and the chief of the Elder Financial Fraud Unit. She learned about Desiree Boltos over a year ago. 
There were two complaints against her, and both had to do with Boltos working her way into an older man's life for the purpose of basically taking financial advantage of him. She would do this by winning their hearts and then taking their wallet. But the case was complicated. The men had seemingly willingly let Boltos into their lives. But Boltos didn't have love on her mind. She was getting the benefit of years of retirement saved up. She was getting the benefit of Social Security funds. She was getting the benefit of, of uh, basically investment accounts, all sorts of accounts that would be used to sustain an, a person that was that age. And they were concerned. And how was she going about getting her name on those accounts or getting the benefits? So uh, many times, well, in one case, she married the right. elderly individual. So like the most and extreme the, example is, is in one case she actually married someone and was able to get control of those accounts. Exactly. Okay. And then in uh, the case of the second victim, um, she was engaged to him, and she basically lied to him to get him to give her the money. And the lies were multifold, and there were several of them. Um, but she lied, and she got his money. I mean, it's as simple as that. Lori Varnell found records about Boltos. She found her living under another name in California in her 20s, and then Wyoming, and then finally the Fort Worth area where she was living with her common-law husband and several children. But luring older men into a romantic relationship came an art form for Desiree. She was subtle and, most importantly, believable. And elderly men would be suspicious, and women in this case, would be suspicious of somebody who came up in a bikini top with their cleavage out and trying to attract them physically. And that's not really how she did it. Now, she certainly had some attractions. She was young, obviously, and um, long hair, dark hair, brown eyes, kind of olive skin, um, not, not unattractive. The attraction she used was knowing her victims, knowing sort of citizens of the greatest generation and how they have a, a mindset of trying to do something for the greater good. And what she would do is she would present herself as a widow, a mother, and having to raise not only her, but her deceased sister's children. And this is how she explained the multiple children. And then she would say, you know, um, I'm going to need some money eventually. You know, she would start hitting them up for money for rent or utilities, which they would always give her because she's a widow. Then she would hit them with the idea that I, I can find a way out of poverty if you just help me. Who doesn't want to do that? She'd cook up all kinds of stories for her victims, stories to ensnare them or stories that tugged at their heartstrings. I'm a widow. I have these children. And... I think the most cruelest way would she would be she would find out if they were bereaved and had a spouse that had died, she would find out how they died in co casual conversation. They would tell her because they don't have a reason not to. Little did they know it would be used against them because then all of a sudden, oh, your wife died of, of breast cancer. Now all of a sudden, I have breast cancer, and I'm so afraid that my children will have to live with no parents, and I need surgery and I can't afford it. Will you pay for it? I have tumors in my uterus, and their wife died of uterine cancer. I have tumors. I'm so afraid I need to have a surgery. I need to have surgery. It's, it's $100,000 a tumor, and I have six. 
Or sometimes she'd say she was homeless, living in a shelter with her children, and she needed money to survive. And then sometimes she'd use a very different lie to fool them, asking wealthy men to invest in her design business. Whatever the lie was, they'd send money. She was a professional, it was her job, and she was good at it. Uh, she gave these elderly victims a quick uh, education in how to transfer money to her. And in the most extreme cases, she'd lure men into marriage and even use her children as pawns. Like, we're, you're going to raise my children, and they, the, the children will be used in this scheme. Many times, be instructed to call them Papa, call the elderly victim Papa. Did she use her own children ever in those scenarios? Absolutely. Law enforcement is finally on to Desiree. As she leaves a trail of broken hearts and empty bank accounts throughout the state of Texas, she now plans her next move to prey on victims nationwide. It's as if nothing can stop her. And I'm back with AARP's Fraud Watch Network Ambassador Frank Abagnale. Frank, going into any new relationship, uh, it's not a bad idea to have a, a little bit of skepticism, right? Absolutely. Well, and I think that if uh, I'm going to get romantically involved with someone, I think I need to know uh, who that person really is, and I want to make sure that I verify some of the things they told me. But certainly, if someone starts to, in a relationship, uh, starts to ask me for money or starts to ask me questions like where I bank or let me use your credit card or can uh, you do this for me or ship this for me or receive this for me, uh, that's where I really think the red flag goes up, and absolutely then I need to make sure that I know who I'm uh, dealing with. It's just a lot easier to go uh, take a minute or two to check it out. As I mentioned to you before, I'm amazed at these young women that say, well, I dated him for about six months. Well, have you ever been to his place? Uh, no. Well, does he live by you? Uh, yes. Well, did you ever call him at home? Uh, no, he only tells me to call him at work. Uh, okay. Those, those are red flags. You want to say, well, there's something not normal there. Uh, you need to go check that out. Today, you have to be careful. All right, Frank, we'll come back uh, next week for part two of our story about Desiree Boltos. If you or someone you know has been the victim of a fraud or scam, call AARP's Fraud Watch Network helpline at 877-908-3360. As always, thanks to my team of scam busters, producers Julie Getz and Brooke Ellis, our audio engineer Julio Gonzalez, and of course, my co-host Frank Abagnale. Be sure to find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. For The Perfect Scam, I'm Will Johnson. Are you 55 plus? There are many ways your community could use your help. As an AmeriCorps Seniors Volunteer, you can put your skills to work for the causes you care about, whether that's by becoming a companion for an older adult or a foster grandparent for a child, tutoring students, joining a disaster response effort, or fulfilling another interest choose how, where, and when you want to volunteer, starting at just a few hours a month. This is your moment to make a positive impact on your community and get back so much more in return. Visit AmeriCorps.gov slash your moment today.